Welcome to another week of Surviving Creativity. I'm your co-host, Corey Cassoni. I'm joined every week by creators Brad Geiger and Scott Kurtz. On the show, we talk about following your dreams, becoming your own boss, and surviving the process. It was announced just yesterday that Emerald City Comic Con, one of the best comic book shows in North America, was being acquired by Reed Exhibitions, the largest promoter of shows in the world. What does this mean for you if you're an exhibitor or a creator, or even just a fan? Well, we've got two guests today to help answer those questions. We're joined this week by Emerald City Comic Con founder and showrunner Jim Demonakos, along with Reed Pop's very own Lance Fensterman. They're going to talk to us about what this means for the show, for the future of Emerald City Comic Con, and for the future of conventions in North America and around the world. We've got a great show for you with some fantastic insight. So sit back, relax, and enjoy another episode of Surviving Creativity. This is uh, Jim Demonakos, uh, who, what is your new title? Um, director of Comic Talent. Director of Comic Talent and Reed Pop, former uh, owner and operator of Emerald City Comic Con, one of the largest comic-centric conventions in North America, uh, which is based in Seattle. And you guys just announced... All those things y- are true. Yes. You've been acquired by Reed Pop. Yeah. So that was our, that was our big... It's really actually super exciting news. I'm totally stoked about it. We've been we've been talking. This is not the first time I've been actually approached to be acquired. <laughs> there's always been people who are like, you know, there's the wizards of the world who have, you know, like a super excellent deal when it comes to wanting to acquire conventions, which like feels like a, a horse trade where they're like, we'll give you a bunch of tables at a bunch of shows. As appealing as that sounds, um, like... I just kind of wanted more and uh, someone who would actually bring something to the table other than, you know, like financially it's great, but at the end of the day, it's like, well, the show's actually sustaining itself. So I'm not looking for someone to like invest in the show. I'm looking for someone who can do more with the show beyond the capabilities that I I or my team has. So, and that's where Reed ended up being a better partner uh, than a lot of other people who had approached us. Yeah. Jeez, it couldn't, you couldn't have a worse partner than a wizard. Holy uh, shit. You could. you could literally have like a bucket of dirt be like your partner and <laughs> it's just going to be like, and yet like with a bucket of dirt, you could possibly like entertain some kids. We got, we got a parking issue. Where's Charlie? Who knocked over Charlie? It's <laughs> a bucket of dirt. You know, like uh, been, uh, I'll be honest, it's been actually like a, a few years since I've had any interaction with wizard and like, I, I don't, I think they, they have, there's this, I don't know, there's this almost perception of like what what they are versus what they really are. And I think, because everyone sees that sort of final product. And I'm sure just like any company, there's just a bunch of people working there, like trying to do the best they can. And they're under like a mandate that just doesn't allow for, um, I think, the flexibility or creativity to actually do more than, you know, kind of put on, put out the product that they already put out. And that's, you know, I think they have a certain amount of market penetration, but they uh, don't 
I don't think they leverage it in a way that would actually be really, really interesting. And I definitely, uh, I definitely feel like <clears throat> the guys working there are doing their damnedest. Like they want it to be better because yeah. I, I know that the last one I went to, which was in Austin was a world. Austin looked like a show the day before it opened all three days. And it was just dead. And the guy was walking around. He's like, we'd love to have you out at every show. You could do a web comics class. He's talking to Brad and I, and he's like, you know, you always have a table at our show. We'll get you a hotel room. You can give a class. You can teach kids web comics. And we just kept saying the same thing to him was, which was, there's nobody here. Who are we going to, you know, we'll never get, we'll get maybe one person showing up. Maybe. But, you know, I think uh, it's an interesting conversation, the, the whole idea of just shows in general. And we've we've lightly touched on this in the past. And we I think in past episodes, we've said, you know, we should really call Jim and get him on the show to talk about this because <laughs> there's so many of them now. They're just popping up just just everywhere. And it's becoming uh, almost just almost untenable. Like there's just too many shows. And it's I think uh I, I think there's room for it, but I think the market hasn't adapted yet. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think <clears throat> so. I think there's a number of things going on. Um, I think on uh, so okay, like number one is I think people see it as it's like a hot trend because I've gotten that vibe and even straight up like emails from people like, hey. So I'm in somewhere, you know, like in the middle of nowhere, USA, and I want to start a comic convention because I see that these comic conventions bring a ton of people and make a ton of money. And there's this very narrow view, like nobody is coming at it at all from a business point of view. Very few people I feel are coming at it from a business point of view. They're coming at it with this like literally dollar signs in their eyes being like, well, I, all I see is walking dollar bills going through the door. So if I can do this thing in my town, I could get a ton of people. You're not getting a lot of these smaller startup shows being run by people who are like, you know what I really want to do? I want to do something that impacts the comics community in my area for good. I want to do something that I am super passionate about. And instead, that is why you're getting a lot of these failures is because the idea for someone to just like, hey, I'm going to open the doors and 100,000 people are going to walk through and life is going to be flip and sweet. Like that is that is like this weird perception that I feel happens with so many of these shows. Now yeah. that we like as I've talked to some people and even seeing like there's an article last week, I think actually on the beat where Heidi was talking about a number of shows that are just like shuttering their doors after one year. I think one is like actually over in Idaho, a couple other ones like, you know, and all of them had the same exact, like it was essentially the same story, just literally like a wizard show. You just replace the city and it's the same thing. Like, it's, oh, so this one in Idaho, along with this one in Kansas, along with this one, they did one show. They couldn't pay their bills because not enough people showed up. There was no, like, real 
uh, energy to it. And then now they're out of business because they can't afford to even pay off the show that they already did, much less do another show. Right. Ooh. Yeah. I, you know, I actually, I wanted to ask you about that because I know you and I have had long in-depth conversations about, um, shows and how they work and how they're put on. And I would love for you, uh, what you can divulge to talk a little bit just to our audience about the, the, the things that are involved. There's a lot of stuff that I think people don't think about. Like I, I, I think you're right, especially now that geek culture has become pop culture. I think there's a whole subset of people that believe that, like you said, all you got to do is open the doors and at 60 bucks a ticket, I'm going to be a millionaire overnight. You know, they're not they're, I don't think they're considering all of the stuff that has to go into it. Yeah, I mean, like, listen, there's <clears throat> there's seven people here at the Emerald City office, and we work for an entire year to put on one event. And so, like, to begin with, the problem you run into is it's usually one person, maybe two people, and all of a sudden they don't realize, and again, like, you know, so I'll kind of work my way through this, but like, oh shit, this is like real work. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not just opening the doors. Like at some point, every one of these people has this realization that, oh man, like I got to do something with this. You know what I mean? Like I, I have to, oh, someone needs to deal with the dealers. So like, let's yeah. start there. Like that's just as the simplest level. So, so your show is made up of pretty, pretty simple components. You have your attendees and that's the, that's the component that comes outside of the event. That's it. Like there's just the people walking through the door inside your event. You have your guests and then you have your artist alley and then you have your exhibitors and exhibitors can be, you can split them up however you want. Like you can also do small press and all this other stuff, but essentially you could say like you have exhibitors and exhibitors can come in every, every size and shape and flavor, like, you know, from dealers to publishers to, you know, like essentially everything in between to, you know, t-shirt vendors, you name it. Right. Mm -hmm. So the, the simplest formula is that like, okay, so I need a space and I need to put booths aside and I then sell these booths to somebody and then they'll set up their booth and people will come through the door. There's the attendee side. I need to uh, invite some guests and then they need to sit in the tables and then I have to sell some tables to artists and they'll come and set up. And then we'll have ourselves a hoot nanny. Right. You know? <laughs> and, that's, um, and that's your income side. And I think that's the side that most people think about and go, that's, that's the money. That's where all the money is. But what I don't think they think about is all of the expenses of which there are a, a ridiculous sum. Right. So first off, like, okay, you need to rent a space. So that that's at, at your very least, you know, and that dictates also your dates. So mm -hmm. you're starting off by saying, all right, so I'll obviously use Seattle because it's an easy for, for me. I'm like, okay, so I want to hold a convention in Seattle. I'm a first time convention person, so I know I'm not going to hold something the size of San Diego, clearly. But, like, you know, I have kind of grand visions of what this is going to be. So I go to um, uh, the Seattle Center, and I go to Key Arena, and I'm like, hey, you know, like, this is a big square, you know, essentially a big rectangle. That's kind of all you need, especially if you're not really doing programming. We'll get to that in a minute, too. So 
you're kind of starting off like, hey, it's just going to be a fun show, and we'll even, you know, we can even cordon off part of the show floor and turn it into a panel room, which many small shows do. So I need to rent this space. So you need to go to the venue and say, hey, I want to rent this space, and this is what I want to do. And they're like, okay, that's fine. Assuming that they're like, yeah, whatever, that sounds good. Then they have a list of dates that are available to you because they have other events. All right, so you find a good date, one that you don't feel conflicts, one that you feel is good. Obviously, there's 52 weekends in the year. You need to figure one of them. You know, you try not to be like, hey, you know, I'm going to probably hold this at at the same weekend as San Diego Comic-Con. Like, you know. <laughs> if, if avoidable. I get it. Like, you can't think of it as competition. You're not competing with San Diego. But clearly, if you're going to invite somebody, you have to understand, and this, again, a lot of people don't, you have to understand that, like, even if people aren't going to San Diego, there's a, that time of year is very busy for essentially mm-hmm. everybody. So even saying, hey, I'm going to hold my show the same weekend as San Diego, clear across the country. So And obviously, you're not competing. Trying to get people to come would be a challenge, especially if you're able to try to invite a guest. Right. Would and they we, would they be obligated to be at San Diego to do a signing? Would they, you know, and who is a good enough name that then is actually going to maybe get some people to, you know, get out of their couch on Saturday and come down to see your convention? So that's a whole other whatever. So you get your venue and then, you know, and then everything is like, all right, well, first off, if you're a first time person, they're going to make you pay at the very least 50 percent if not 75% of the venue cost up front, because you're nobody. You've never done a show before. So unless you have some traction or some other uh, business relationship, which would allow you to get away with being like, oh, cool, I'll do a a 10% deposit and I'll pay the rest later. They're going to want their money up front. Well, you need to have that money. So there's this outlay of cash well, like a quite a giant outlay of cash before you do the um, before before you actually start the show. So then you you need to be able to rent tables. You need to be able to um, get people to uh, you know. Sorry, I'm going to start over. Um, <laughs> just further, sorry, prov- actually, further proving my, that it's my dad, not. My dad just walked easy. in. He, he was popping by the office. So, you like, bring burgers? I was trying. Try, it's, it's like eight thirty a.m. It is too early for burgers. Uh, well, it was, oh, maybe, it was just fries. Maybe for you, it was, it was just, just fries. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's breakfast fries. It's just potatoes with eggs on them. That's right. Yeah, Actually, right. Like I was you like, you yeah. have a grill and some eggs. Tell like your dad. we do an egg burger. I mean, come on. Tell your dad we want That's that. It. We want breakfast fries. <laughs> I would go to your dad's restaurant to buy breakfast fries. <laughs> I would love, I would love to actually just sell breakfast fries and have it literally just be fries, but it's just you know like it's before eleven, so they're breakfast fries. That's what Taco Time There's does. Like, Taco Time sells Mexa fries. Mexa fries. <laughs> it's just yeah, French fries. yeah, are, are, which, which are tater tots with like seasoning salt on them. <laughs> yeah, that's what they are. I've, I've been there. I swear <laughs> like, to God, you could open a you could open a cart here in Portland and call it breakfast fries and just destroy. This is, listen, yeah. free million dollar idea for mm. all you hipsters listening right now that live <laughs> in the. Be like, listen, you're, you're open from 7 a.m. to 11.30, and that's it. You're done for the day. Like you're, that's, uh, that's all you ever open for. And you can for. go home. And, and the and... scarcity makes it that much more right. like, oh, man, 
have you ever been have you been to the breakfast fry shack like man that place with their breakfast fries so good <laughs> you, you haven't had breakfast fries Whoa. Dog? all right <laughs> anyway breakfast fries uh, is so nasty so, jim when you were doing this for the first time did you have to take out like a small business loan how how did you do that <laughs> the breakfast fry uh, shack is that what it is? <laughs> <laughs> um dude so i i did it all on credit cards oh I, god like, oh. I, I have the same like not so, it's not a sob story but like i put my i put my ass on the line like yeah. when it comes to emerald city it was like so all right i'm just gonna put on two different credit cards and um, also a, a a small loan mm. that was leaned against my comic book store. Right, because so you, you, own business, a, you own a so I got I had gotten shop, a business yeah. loan to open the comic book store. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went to the same guy at uh, at the time Washington Mutual, which is now Chase, um, and. It was great. Like they actually, the bank was in the same plaza as where my comic book store was. So you know, we got to get, we, you know, we would do our deposits over there. So we got, you know, we got to know the the guys over at the bank pretty well. Mm-hmm. And I told them kind of what we were doing, and I was like, "Listen, collateral, I've got this store like right across the way, mm-hmm. and so if this thing does not go well, Washington Mutual now owns a comic book store. Good luck with that. Anyway, um, so." That, between that, but it was mostly on my credit cards. I just, I had taken out a couple of different, um, I'd applied for and gotten a number of different credit cards and then just played like the credit card tango of how to like, all right, if I can pay this one off a little bit so it has enough room so I can put something else on there, I could actually charge something else onto that card while this one is trying to get itself clear. And it's pretty... Fucking stressful. I will say. I can't uh, tell you. I can because, imagine. I can't tell you how many uh, businesses. I, I had I'd, no clue if I was just going to be in debt forever. Yeah. Um, how ma- yeah. Moved, I mean, how many? I'd moved back nights? in with my parents actually. Um, wow. To, uh, to 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 open the comic book store um, because I literally used all the money I had to do that. And then what I did was, um, at the, so I wasn't paying rent, which is great. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Thanks dad, mom. Uh, <laughs> so like I owe you so many breakfast fries. So, uh, <laughs> and, and so I just was, and I did nothing but work. I would go and work a full day at the comic book store, work, um, on Emerald City when I had time and then I would go home and I like Emerald City Comic Con was actually like done out of my bedroom like in my parents house for like where, the first two years where did you hold it like, the first couple of years so the first two years we actually did it at the Seahawks Stadium but uh, downstairs essentially under the bleachers they have this yeah. like area that has like vet food vendors remember that and Brad? like I, I remember that i i can we can say we were there <laughs> that's <laughs> why that weird, it's like this weird banana shaped like because you know think of a stadium right like so it's curved so um that area underneath is where we held emerald city because we're trying to find a venue and again this is the whole thing like we're trying to find a venue and i went over to the seattle center and at the time there's another convention here in seattle and they um 
they were over at the Seattle Center. So I didn't want to do it at the Seattle Center just so that people were like, okay, this is a different show. Because if you help, if you hold it at the same venue, people start to be like, wait, so it's this, is it the same thing? I mean, I don't, I don't know. Like, okay. So it's not like I was super worried about market confusion, but I, I was at least trying to say, <clears throat> this is us doing something different. So that's why we went over to the Seahawks stadium. And at the time they weren't doing many events in there. Um, so even the people there were like, I mean, yeah, I guess we could. That doesn't sound like something we couldn't do. So you just want the floor space. And then I actually went to a, um, so usually you use a decorator like GES or Freeman or someone who gets you tables and chairs and pipe and drapes and stuff. But um, again, year one me had no clue about all this stuff. So I was like, well, so I need to rent a bunch of tables because that's what I've seen at other conventions where I go. I went to a party store, like a party rental like place oh, that yeah. that did like weddings and parties and stuff. And I'm like, Hey, I need a bunch of tables. <laughs> and they're like, okay. And they were like, if I'm not mistaken, they were called triple a party rental, which, Hey, good job being the first ones in the phone book. So much research like, to find a good nothing to do with their quality. Although I don't have any complaints. They were awesome. I'm just saying, I was like, Hey, why do you think Mike Allred called his company triple a pop? So that at the beginning of the back of the previous catalog, the first comic you ever saw was Madman. You know, <laughs> it's, it's smart. So <clears throat> anyway, that's, that's, I was just like, fuck it. I need tables and chairs. And we drew out a diagram of like, all right, this is about what we think. And we, you know, we put our tables, uh, like our booths. And I just went to other local shows where I would also be exhibiting as, as the comic stop in my store mm-hmm. and was like, Hey, you guys are always kind of complaining about how there's not a really an, another show or something good here in Seattle. So, you know, you can either sort of put up or shut up, sign up with me, like come and do my show. And we'll see how it goes. And that was, and that was how I got dealers to come over to, uh, to the show. And I'd made a bunch of friends in the industry. Uh, so I, I tried to like literally call in every person that I knew to come to, uh, to Emerald city year one. And that's, you know, but broad strokes, that that's how I started the, um, the first show, but that's, Again, kind of like that's exactly how you you have to do is you try to get as much stuff done mm-hmm. on as little money as possible. You know, that was um, I, I've been friends with Eric Larson, uh, who does Savage Dragon for for years now. Like I actually um, it's like not a secret, but I actually still run SavageDragon.com for him. Oh, really? Of, do you yeah, still like run once that? a month when that comic comes out, I just update the website. Oh, you man. I talk to Eric pretty regularly. <laughs> That's awesome. <clears throat> so how, um, many, how many years ago was that that you were at the center? How, how many years did it take to move? 2003. So how many years did it take to move to the Washington State Convention Center to be large uh, enough to move over? So actually, so I did two years at... Uh, at the time it was Quest, now it's CenturyLink, but the Seahawks Stadium. We were in what was called the Westfield Plaza. That's the little banana-shaped thing that I was talking about. Next door, they have what they call the Questfield Event Center. Um, so that was a, a bigger venue uh, where they've, they've held concerts like, uh, you know, whatever, Chemical Brothers were there and, you know, all, all these, like, bands at the time. And they still do concerts there every so often. But um, so two years 
we were at the um, at the at the Westfield Plaza in the Little Banana, and then the following year we turned it into a two day show. So just so I'm clear, year one and year two were just single day shows. Mm-hmm. Then year three, we turned it to a two-day show and moved it over into the the event center. So we were at the event center for three years, <clears throat> um, and again a two-day show for uh, three years. And then we moved in year six, so 2008, we moved to the convention center. Still a two-day show for um, actually three more years, and then in 2011. We turned it into a three-day show. Yeah, uh, in our ninth year, and then it's been a three-day show ever since. And what were your numbers this last year that the that you can tell us publicly? Oh, uh, so in twenty fourteen we did seventy thousand. That's wow. turnstile. And I'm sorry, what is that? That's your turnstile. Uh, yeah, that's turnstile. So specifically, we only count the three-day people three times as it were so it's like you know if you bought a three-day pass you came all three days but all the rest of that is all individual so that's pretty awesome man yeah mm-hmm. well considering like so going back to real quick to, to 2003 you know when when it was all said and done and we finally did that show and we were hoping so for comparison, the shows that had been running in Seattle at the time would get between five and 800 people um, each year and uh, or each time they, they put it on. And so we were hoping for a thousand. That was our our goal was that like, hey, if we could get like a thousand people just to show that, you know, there's a, a pretty good draw. That would be great. But we actually did, you know, a good amount of advertising. And actually, I brought up Eric for a reason, Eric Larson. is I actually, he was the first person I called. Actually, when I opened my comic book store, we had a signing with him very early, like, you know, a, a couple months in to get people to come over to our store. Mm-hmm. And so same, kind of same thing. I'm like, I needed someone to sort of be the the linchpin of the show and Eric was the guy I called. I'm like, Hey man, can you, would you be willing to come out to Seattle? Same thing, except it's a convention one day. He's like, sure. And then I was like, so also would you be willing to draw a piece of art for me so I could advertise this, this show. And if you go to the Emerald city website under our, like, you know, past shows, you can go see all that artwork that we've gotten every year. Um, and Scott had actually done it a uh, year four for us, but year one with Eric, he's like, you know, so he did like this monster, um, like with the space needle in its hand, you know, kind of a, like in Savage Dragon being like, ah, oh, shit, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I use that as like, the selling point with like uh, posters and in comic book stores. So like I, I put a fl- flyers, like I printed flyers and then got in the car and I made a list uh, thanks to like a little bit of the comic book, uh, what do they call them? Comic shop locator service. Mm-hmm. And I drove from Bellingham, which is essentially the top of Washington all the way down to the bottom of the I five corridor and dropped off flyers at every single comic book store in the entire I-5 corridor, almost all the way to Oregon. Hmm. Wow. Um, <laughs> you know, like, uh, to, to advertise the show, because that was, you know, that is what, in my opinion, of course, like, that is what you do. You need to get people to know about your event. You, people should be coming from comic book stores 
let's go to all the comic book stores. So this mm. was like, just like, it's straight up hustle, you know, like you just yeah. get in and do it. And so, uh, with that poster, with the art from Eric, I just went and wallpapered everywhere I could. And then I was like, I wonder who else would be interested in this? Like, maybe I'll drop it off at like, you know, if, do you guys remember record stores? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do. Uh, <laughs> so like you know I would uh, and record stores always had that area where they, you could put flyers yeah, yeah, or yeah. Um, you know and I'd be like well fuck it like why don't I make a little bigger one like a 11 by 17 and put that in the record stores and I just went everywhere I could think of you know after hours or if I had a day off from the shop that would be like okay I am I'm doing nothing but like I'm on the grind you know mm-hmm. and so um and when we had our first show, instead of a thousand people, uh, two thousand five hundred people showed up. Wow! That was your so first show. That was show and one. That was, that was your one. Yeah, that was show number one. Wow! So then it's, and it's so for me that was hugely successful. Like yeah. you know, it wasn't yeah, immensely beyond expectations, mind you. Like if even at twenty five, like we we're we we're thinking we'd lose money on the on the show, but you know, at least we'd we'd get it going with that we actually made maybe like a couple grand thanks to like the the sheer amount of people who came through although it sucks because the whole time we were at quest all the ticketing had to be handled by Ticketmaster. so that's a whole other like so mm-hmm. dealing with Ticketmaster was just more expenses uh, more expenses not awesome yeah so so it's 10 there you go. it's 10 years later and you're now you're running a successful show uh staff of seven you're running Emerald City Comic Con out of the Washington State Convention Center. It's the largest. It's is it. It is the largest convention in the Pacific Northwest, right? Uh, it's the largest. Yeah, I mean, uh, technically, te- not technically. PAX is bigger, but it's it is the second largest show in the Northwest. Yeah. And then you're period, and it's the largest comic book show. So then you're approached by Reed, who if. Uh, if or as an audience, if you're unfamiliar, Reed Exhibitions is one of, if not the largest uh, organizer of events in the world. I mean, they do thousands. They, they are the largest. Yeah. yeah, they do hundreds of events all over all over the world. I've been to Reed Exhibitions in Singapore and and uh, you know in Tokyo and and uh, in the UK. I mean, they do they just do stuff everywhere. And um, uh, you you might know this a little bit better than me, Jim, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, there were a couple of guys that worked at Reed that were really into geek culture, and this was many years ago, before Reed Pop existed. So then they kind of went to their bosses, who are these corporate guys, and were like, hey, we want to do like a Star Wars fan show or a comic book convention. And this is all stuff they were into. And it, not I, another kitchenware show. Right. Ex- yeah, exactly. <laughs> and if, if I remember correctly, their bosses were like, you're nuts. <laughs> this will never work. Uh, but they gave them sort of this read pop with like a little branch off and said, go try one, do your thing. And, uh, and that's kind of how Repop started. And now they run uh, New York Comic Con, which is, I think, the second largest show. If not, the, I don't know if I don't think it's overtaken San Diego yet, but it's a big show. Mm-hmm. Uh, they run all yeah. the PAX conventions. They run all the Star Wars fan, the, the big Star Wars fan conventions. They also run like like a UFC fighting thing. I mean, these guys yeah, the are UFC fan expo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These guys are nerds. I know Larry and Mike and these guys and they love they love shows. They love they love what they do. So then um, they came to you a few years ago and talk to us a little bit about that. Um, so I've known 
so the story you said is essentially correct. Like, as far as I know as well, just, you know, I don't know their, the entire history, but I do know that that is pretty much what happened. Like, inside of Reed, guys like Lance and a couple other people were like, hey, you know, we love this kind of stuff, and we see that there's, you know, like uh, a place for it in cities that don't have it, and why don't we kind of give it a shot? And, yeah, they started New York Comic Con, and very quickly after that, they did C2E2, and they, they got the PAX brand, and now just the Reed Pop brand has 23 shows itself, just in the, wow. like, like you're talking about, like the nerd pop culture. And that's, um, that's all over the world, from, too, like right? Like you said, the UFC... <clears throat> Uh, the UFC Fan Expo to, you know, they have like five shows in Australia and a couple shows in India and a new show that they just launched in Paris, the Singapore Toy Show. So Reed Pop itself is now like a, you know, a global brand under the other global brand of Reed Exhibitions. And so uh, weirdly, Lance Fensterman, who is the senior VP over at Reed Pop, I I've actually known him for about a decade in this weird, like, you know, path crossing. I was doing some freelance work for a, a company called Unshelved, which is a webcomic about libraries. Yeah, great. And yeah, uh, yeah here in Seattle, right? Bill and Bill and Jean, and those guys, they got contracted to do a comic for a BEA, which is the Book Expo America, which is pretty much the largest book show in the U.S. And um, if for for those listeners who don't know, books are these like they're bound with like paper and then there's <laughs> words like page after page and Although they can be big or small. They have the digital signing thing now at BEA it's, it's though. Ridiculous. You can sign you can get digital books signed at BEA now. It's weird. Really? Yeah. They have like a they there's, there's several different companies that are trying to figure out a way to to do author signatures in digital books. And they're always there there's like two or three competing, they're always at BEA. What does so, that even mean? I don't know. I can't figure it out. <laughs> Wow. Listen, you... when I was doing when I was doing Kirby Crackle, uh, you know, so I, I had this band Kirby Crackle. I'm no longer doing it, but we um, we would be at shows, and people would come up and they're like, "Can you sign my iPod?" <laughs> and I was like, Jeez. "I mean, sure, I, I, I won't not sign your iPod." But I always just thought it was kind of funny. But <laughs> like, so it's the same way. I'm like, you know, if I. I like, will you sign my Kindle? Yeah, Maybe, it's a it's I a guess. digital you know? <laughs> it's a really digital sure. signature. So, it's like a did like they sign on a pad and it like goes in it, into the digital file. So like ah, your so like your digital so, book has a signature in it. Oh, I see. Oh, like yeah. like almost like you signed it with a Wacom. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Oh. Yeah, or like yeah, like when you're signing your your for a credit card, you know, like when you right, swipe it. Right, you right, right. It's, it's but, so weird. Huh. Anyway, off topic. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> neither here nor there. Right. So, um, so that's at the time Lance was actually in charge of BEA and they and they were the ones that contracted, uh, unshelved to do basically essentially a, a couple page comic that would be handed out to the attendees about how BEA could serve librarians. Um, cause ALA, which is the American Library Association, is was is like the big library show, and Unshelved is huge there. And BEA was trying to get more of the kind of li- library crowd to come. Which now there's a ton of crossover, but back then, we're talking like a decade ago, it was like BEA was for people like I buy for Barnes and Noble. I am here at BEA. I buy for my local library. I am here at ALA. Now. Mm-hmm. 
they're not essentially the same show, but they, you know, they've, they've gotten such a huge crossover. So I met Lance there and we've kept in touch pretty much for the last decade, like just sort of like, you know, concentric circles of like, Oh, Hey, I see you here. Oh, they got PAX. And so then I'm at PAX and I see Lance. And then, you know, like we always kind of chit chatted, but it was never like a serious conversation about, Hey, would, you know, would you want to be part of Reed or anything? And then, you know, late or I guess mid last year after Emerald city, he came to me and was like, Hey, listen, so we're in a, we're in a pretty interesting place right now. We're expanding a lot. We've spent the last couple of years doing a lot of expansion. So we're starting to get to the point where we're also looking for really good people to help manage these shows, to help us make our shows better. And your team is totally awesome. Like we love Emerald city as like the, you know, he's like, I love it. You already know that, but like everybody over at read pop, who's been to Emerald city loves it. You know, we love the reputation, the vibe, you name it. Would you guys be interested in Emerald city joining the read pop family? But even more so would you guys, you and your team be interested in coming on board to read and helping not only keep running Emerald City, but start to work on C2E2, start to work on New York Comic Con, but even more so, like, I'll speak for myself, like, would you be interested in, or could you help us get, like, comic guests into shows in Australia, shows outside of, you know, the our, our North American uh, portfolio? And I was like... Well, that sounds really exciting to me because I've been doing Emerald City for like over a third of my life at this point. And not that I'm bored, not that I'm not passionate about it, but being able to expand your reach or your your scope from this one show to the entire world. That's pretty awesome. So I, how much how much harder would it have been if they would have just said, we want to just buy Emerald City and you walk away and the the other Emerald City employees, you know, they're 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 on their own, whether there's a severance or whatever. How much harder would that have been? I, I wouldn't have done it. That was actually the first conversation I had with everybody was mm-hmm. listen, I I could just keep doing Emerald City. And I would be fine with that. And then I'd be able to take care of my people and they would be happy. And, um, like I would be happy, obviously. I'm not, I'm not really interested in money. Like that sounds like a funny thing to say, but as in money's not my (laughs) motivator. I like money. I like being able to pay my bills and I like being able to like pay my mortgage. And that's, you know, obviously that's important to me, but more important is, in a way, just continuing to do what I'm passionate about. And I've always followed my passion more than I've followed anything. Like I've never really made a decision that's based off of money. It's because that's kind of like a, it's like, that's, that's like the short game. The long game is if you do something you're passionate about, that turns into money. And you know what? Sometimes it doesn't turn into money, but guess your, your level of satisfaction is a lot higher. So I get to keep doing what I love doing. And so if it was a straight cash buyout, I just, I would not be, 
I've actually turned that offer down because I, that's, I've had that offer before where it's just like, hey, we want to buy Emerald City. I'm like, oh, great. What do you want to like? How do you want to work with us? What do you want to do? And they're like, well, we pretty much just want to buy it and then run it and have it be ours. And I was like, I'll pass. Thanks. <laughs> you know, it, tying it back into into our show and into surviving creativity, how how many times, guys, have we said, don't worry about the money and people just balk at us every time? Well, yeah. because the problem is that you can't, the reason why we say that is because more than likely there's not going to be a ton of money in it for you. And you can't you can't worry about the money in that in that respect because if that's what you're in it for, then you're never you're gonna be you, you might as well not start. I mean well, the, the, and I think that that actually ties exactly back to how we started this conversation is <clears throat> and I know we kind of abandoned it halfway through about like how you build a show <laughs> and the stuff that it takes to actually make a show. <laughs> but when you start and your idea is like, I want to start a show so I can make a bunch of money. You're already under the gun. Like you're, you're kind of, you're starting from a losing position because you don't like, I don't know. I feel very strongly that you should be passionate about what you do. And maybe that's just me and that's fine. But I see that lack of passion in other people who I've talked to who are starting up shows because they're just in it for that. What they're hoping is like an inevitable payday. Like what they don't see, like for me is that I, the first seven years of Emerald city, I, I basically worked for free. I didn't get paid. I didn't get anything for the first seven years. I worked on Emerald city. Wow. And it wasn't like year eight. I got like some giant payday, but it was like, Hey, you could take like $10,000 and things would be okay. And I'd be like, woohoo. Uh, okay. This is but like, you know, if you told someone right now, you're like, listen, if you work, if you could just, if you just work for eight years and you could probably get like 10 grand out of it, like who's going to be like, sign me up. That sounds, right. that sounds we tell people that you're going to have time, to do this Jim. on the side. You're going to have to hold another job. You're going to have to keep taking freelance work, which yeah. is exactly what I did. So besides, because, the comic book store is great, but it's not exactly like lucrative. All right. So I was working the comic stop. I was working on Emerald city. I I took a job at image comics for a year and a half. I worked for them. I took freelance work doing web design, doing editing, doing like a number of jobs. Like people, people don't talk about that part of like, this is what I did. And, right. and fine. That's just me. But a lot of people aren't willing to put in that kind of that kind of time and work. Like I literally, like for two and a half years, did not take a day off. So that doesn't sound that doesn't sound super appealing to a well, lot of just, people. And just put that into perspective. I forget about ten thousand dollars for eight years of work. How about how about one year? Just just call that one year. Uh, it, it sounds really exciting. Oh, it takes $10,000 and people are like, oh my God, you hit the lottery until you stop and think that it took you an entire year. It took you 12 months to make that $10,000. You know what I mean? If that would have been, your, if that would have been the only money you took, uh, from all the work you put into that, it, it wouldn't have been breaking the poverty level. So now that, but, but you know, it worked out, you have a successful show. 
it's grown and grown and grown, and now you've partnered with Reed. So the big question, because I've listed many times on my website and in, in conversation, I've listed Emerald City as one of the last three pure comic shows. In other mm-hmm. words, if you like comics, if you make comics, it's still a comic-centric show, and that's your show, Charlotte and Baltimore mm-hmm. feel to me like just so now you've now you've partnered with Reed calm my fears that the show is going to change before you answer that question Jim that totally uh, you you mentioned Lance earlier and I happened to have his number so I texted him and said hey d- would you jump on the phone real quick and he said yes I'd kind of like you both to answer that question are you okay with that yeah hold on one sec that's funny. So while while he's calling Lance, like real quick, just to go back to a couple of things that we left hanging, which I think people might find interesting, is like mm-hmm. what what a lot of people don't think about in terms of like putting together a show. So going all the way back to like talking about like, you know, renting the venue and all this other stuff is that a lot of the stuff you end up dealing with is logistics, which that's what most people don't think about. How do they move in to the convention center? What, where do they set up? What time do they set up? Did you put in enough time that you have time to set up before the show opens? Yeah. Who's selling tickets? Are there people selling tickets? Are there local taxes you have to worry about? Because guess what? We pay admission tax. Every state has some kind of admission tax. Most people who are running a small show are just like, hey, it's $10 at the door. That's $10. Like, hold on, buddy. Like, you owe, you owe taxes on that. Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. Well, now I have to figure that into And like, and that's just like the smallest little sliver of things mm-hmm. that people do not even consider on all the stuff you have to do to run a show. Hey, Lance, are you there? Yeah, and, and just to comment on that, Jim, I think we have a tea party on this shit. The taxes, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, it's, it's uh, just an idea. Lance, you're here with uh, Corey Cassoni, Scott Kurtz, Brad Geiger, and, and Jim Demonakos, of course you know. Um, introduce yourself to us, and thanks for jumping on <laughs> just on, on a whim onto our podcast. Nope. Hi, uh, Pops, um, and uh, I work with Jim. <laughs> <laughs> the best part was, short introduction, and you broke up to boot because we're calling you on a cell. <laughs> no, it's fine. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. I don't have much to add anyway, so don't worry. You're not missing anything. <laughs> we were talking to Jim about uh, about Reed picking up uh, Emerald City, and we kind of wanted to get it from your guys' perspective as well, uh, from Reed Pop, and why why M why M City? Like, why was that the show? What you guys go to uh, almost all the shows? I mean, I see you at like every show in in the country, all the major ones. So, in addition to running your own shows, you guys are on the road, going to all the other shows and seeing what other people are doing. Um, what was it about Emerald City that was like the show for you? Uh, first of all, I've known Jim for almost 10 years now, just as friends and in various kind of circles working together and all sorts of different things. And so, uh, I have this thing about not working with people I don't like. And so right off the bat, it was like, all right, cool. I, Jim and I would have an excuse to spend copious amounts of time together and come up with kind of cool ideas, uh, and, and put them into action. That in itself sounded like a pretty good idea. Uh, and then go deeper, like Emerald City is honestly, I mean, I'm not saying it's because he's listening. Uh, It's one of the most respected shows in the country. Um, And it's authentic. It's genuine. It's fan-focused. It's about community. It's about creators. It's just a 
killer show. And um, I think we kind of looked at it as uh, additive, right? It was going to make what we do better, um, what Reebok does better by by it being a part of our little family. And then, you know, the Emerald City team is a is a great group of people because I think Jim has the same rule about not working with dicks. He has got amazing people around him. So not only was it a great show, but it was like a really killer team that we were enthusiastic about saying, well, they've done amazing things in Seattle. You know, how could they make New York Comic Con better? How could they help us grow these these events we now have in India and Australia and Paris? Like, it was just a really cool opportunity to add people that would make us better. I won't put words in Jim's mouth, but I think the flip side was, yeah, there's some stuff that that Reed Pop can add to Emerald City. And I think, you know, the enthusiasm from Jim and his team to say, yeah, we want to do more. Like we want to work on a, on a bigger stage, if you will. Uh, and so it just, you know, any good relationship, it seemed like we both brought something to the table that the other one wanted, needed, and, and was excited about. And then we fell in love and now we're getting married. <laughs> and we're going to make little babies. Hooray. Do we well, get the, to question, babies. <laughs> the question that I asked, and, and I'm asking it, Kind of for the unspoken, the or the unrep, the people that aren't here that I'm seeing ask in my circles, is that we've been fans of the show and we've been attending for years. It's one of, like I said before, you came on one of like two or three shows that really, really does care about the comics community and the creators. I've loved this show. Calm my fears that it's going to change now and become something different. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I can like give you lots of words and, and tell you, you know, why would we why would we partner up and invest in something that's awesome just to to break it? That that doesn't make a, a ton of sense. But really, I mean, I think you look at the PAX events, and you know, we've we've now you know uh, owned those for what six years, and I, I don't believe that they've lost what made them great. I hope what we've done as partners to to Robert and the Penny Arcade crew is to amplify what they've done, you know, and say, you guys rock. We don't want to mess with what you've done. Um, could we do it in three other places? Could we do it on the other side of the planet in Australia? Mm -hmm. Can we help you do that? So I think what we've, I, I hope what we've done successfully is to take something exceptional in packs and help it be even bigger, help it touch more fans, um, help them do what they're, good at a little better and what they don't like doing really better because we're good at that. So I think that's a really living example besides words of like where we, I don't think we've, I hope and I don't believe that we've messed that up. I think we've amplified their, their really cool, great community and event they've built. So I don't really see why we would want to apply a different, a different style with, with Jim and with Emerald City, you know? Yeah, well, I'll be attending PAX South next mm. week <laughs> and uh <laughs> i i obviously still love the show yeah and it's just something that well, i'm seeing from from a, oh yeah oh i'm sorry from a read perspective lance how how much of the acquisition of of uh or i guess the partnership with emerald city was the show itself versus the the team because i know jim has told us and he's said in the past that they've always turned down offers that didn't involve his people and keeping his people involved and getting his people more involved and uh i i know uh, on some inside baseball that uh that repop that you guys have always kind of been trying to get into this more comic centric thing like you you launched the the smaller new york comic show recently mm -hmm. and 
uh, you know, I know you're looking, you were looking for people to kind of do that really comic centric thing. So if you, if you can, I don't know if you can, but from a business perspective, how much of the, of the, the teaming up was based on the team versus based on the show itself? I, I mean, I would think a, a company like Reed, your size, you could just open a show in, in the Seattle area that was comic centric. Yeah. You know, that's, a, it's a, it's a, interesting question and I'm, I'm I'm literally right now sitting in the same spot I was I think it was about last March when Jim and I had like the most pivotal conversation of about two hours about doing this and you know it really started with Jim saying like my team's really important like I love these people they're great they're what make the show the show like they they have to be involved and like what I said to Jim was my default position on this was not Oh, can we fit them in? But rather, I mean, who can they replace or what roles can they fill that I've got? That's the default position. So I think, you know, to put a percentage on it, you know, 60, 40 in favor of, you know, the people. But I think more importantly, the conversation would not have continued if that was not, if that team and their talent and Jim himself were not pivotal in, in my eyes to this happening. You know what I mean? So like whether it's 60, 40, 70, 30, whatever it is, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have reached this stage if that was not sort of the most important thing. Jim made that clear. And then frankly, if we didn't see that the team was just as amazing as Jim did, then it wouldn't have been a a good relationship. And so I think it was kind of a non-starter if we both didn't see that eye to eye and how amazing, you know, the people are. Um, I don't think we would have gotten to this point because Jim wouldn't have felt comfortable and and we wouldn't, it wouldn't have made sense. So, um, so in that sense, you could say it's a hundred percent because we wouldn't have gotten any further if that wasn't a, a shared view, you know? Can I? And that's totally true, and that's that echoes exactly what you know we had said uh, a little earlier on on that. It's like it's I, I'm not interested in just hey, like you know we just want the show and uh, we want you to fuck off, and I'm like that's not really exactly. <laughs> I have zero interest in that. Being able to not only have you know my team come in and and like be valued, but also get to work on all these other amazing events. That's what. That's exactly why you know, this ended up working out more than anything else. Lance, can I throw a hardball question at you? Totally. I love them. Give it I'm ready. All right. Uh, for a lot of comic professionals, their, their biggest and maybe even only experience with, uh, read pop as a company would be New York comic con. So, uh, you know, if I put myself in the shoes of a comic pro, my first concern with, especially if M city is like one of my favorite shows is, uh, Reed's just going to corporatize this. And I, you know, I'm not going to, I'm no longer going to get tables with my package and they're going to charge me for every wastebasket. And, oh my God, I'm going to have to show, I'm going to show up. There won't be a table there. there. Won't be a table. <laughs> <laughs> but but like what do you say to the pros that are like the reason we liked emerald city is because they did things a little bit differently than every other comic show who uh, sometimes and and be having been an exhibitor at many shows i even sometimes feel like i'm getting nickel and dime by these guys but i i mean i understand the expenses that go in because i know people like jim and i know how shows work um but if if I'm one of those people who is just totally against the idea of this, dissuade my fears for for a minute. Right. Well, I'd say I'd say two things. 
one is that, you know, kind of back to my point, like we didn't enter into this relationship and, and all of the, the time and resource we're going to put into it to sort of ruin what made it great. Like, um, I, I'm not, I'm not super smart, but like, you know, I, I know enough to say like, well, if there's something great that's happening, let's not, let's not mess that up. You know what I mean? Um, and then like the other thing I'd say, and, and maybe, I don't know, maybe it's backpacking a little bit, but like, um, we, we do like really in-depth research after all of our shows and, you know, ask people, what did you like? What didn't you like? Can rate us. And then, um, uh, and we take that seriously. And in New York, our, our artist alley area is, um, the, the satisfaction, meaning I was completely or very satisfied is about 97%, which is absurd. Like it's absurd. Um, so it's an extremely, it's, the artists will like that show or that's what they tell us in that sort of anonymous research. So like we, we hope to sort of say we've got a track record of doing some things really well in some areas, right? We've got some areas that we're not great at uh, as an organization. And that's why you know, you look at a show like Emerald city and a team like Emerald city and say, man, they've done some things super, super well that we're, we're not good at. So how can they help us be better? So I hope what we look at is say, instead of, um, how do we not fuck up the stuff that made Emerald city great? Instead, we kind of say, well, how do we take the stuff that made Emerald city great and help kind of infuse it into the rest of what Repop does? Uh, you know, that's, that's the mindset we're trying to take towards it and the behavior we want to kind of, you know, illustrate. How much of a hand is Reed going to have in the running, the actual like on the ground running of Emerald city versus the Emerald city crew? I mean, if Jim's already got all these people in place, uh, you know, what, what is, what is the kind of melding of forces going to be or if, if at all? I think like, you know, and I think Jim would probably say the same thing. Um, I don't know that we know that yet. Like, I think, you know, we've got this nice like three month period where we get to just like get to know each other. We get to watch how they do things. They get to watch how we do things. Like uh, I had a call this morning about our, our show in Paris that we're launching and like, it was immediately dawned on me that well, why, aren't, why aren't Jim and Todd on this call? Like just start soaking up and so they can start applying their expertise. And we have the opportunity to do that with Emerald city and then see like, all right, well, where, where can we help? Where do you need help? And then what is stuff we can take off your plate? But I think, you know, Jim and I are both, we actually laugh because we're, horrible detail people like we're very much like kind of big picture like all right let's let's kind of build a tent and then we'll figure the rest out so i don't know that either of us really can answer that and i think that's okay like because like we kind of figure like no there's really smart people that are surrounding us and they'll they'll kind of figure that out in a cool natural way and we're not gonna like we're not really big into like well we've got a 30 tab excel spreadsheet integration plan that we've gone and cross-referenced and Mm -hmm. jim and i spent you know 30 hours working on this we're more like no good people cool ideas it'll work <laughs> and it's worked like, for us so I, far and so. i think and i think brad and scott and even Corey to a certain extent can actually attest to that where it's just like it's just a phone conversation I'm like hey what do you think of this idea uh, okay yeah. cool all right well let's just do that like should we have a contract should we you know like make this official nah like you know i'm good for my word and you're good for your word so fuck it let's just do it and it's like oh uh, all right okay let's do that then and uh, again without putting words in their mouth i don't think they've ever been dissatisfied with like anything that's happened at emerald city because no i'm asking these questions we're asking these questions because I'm seeing them on message boards and in conversations, and I know the answer. I'm just asking. Yeah, I, I so mean, you I, can I, say them out loud. I feel the same way. I, I've worked with the Reed guys uh, 
for a really long time. You know, I, I'm mostly Mike and Larry, but like Nancy, Lance, you and I have met several times and, you know, and Jim, I've known you for years. So it's like, I'm, I'm not worried about it. I'm excited about it. I know a lot of creators who are freaking the fuck out right now Mm -hmm. because Emerald city was like their show and they, and it was the last bastion of all comic hope and it had the really nice mix of like <laughs> exhibitors and small press exhibitors and a and a really great artist alley and just okay, a, no pressure, geez. <laughs> well, and you know the thing. Another thing is like it's it's this weird thing, and it might be interesting for you guys to hear from the from a exhibitor perspective. And I only know it from an independent exhibitor, but there's this bullshit that happens at every show where. About day two, everyone starts walking around going, how's the show for you? And everyone's doing fucking great. Everyone's making just $10,000. Oh, my God. I just I've already cleared 10 grand and we've already paid for everyone's plane ticket. And and then slowly by day three, it's like, you know, compared to last year, I don't know that I did as good. And then and then after a couple of drinks in the last day, it's like. No one wanted to buy anything. All these fucking cosplayers. <laughs> what the fuck is... And you know what? You know what it is? It's the second room. It's the second room. They added that second oh, wing yeah. over there across the sky bridge. Now the show's too big. The show's too big. And it's like... It's this weird uh, five stages of getting through to acceptance to where... <laughs> comic book shows are different than they used to be. And so... <laughs> It's just this weird thing by the end of it where it's like, well, you know, Emerald City's getting too big and it's not it's not as good as year two. But like <laughs> it's just this weird thing that happens. It happens and, at every uh, show. It doesn't matter what the show is. It's every single show, every single every time. Every single show. But um, you know Emerald City has just been consistently, I think, a show where everyone is you know, Jim's always so hands-on. He always stops by and at your booth and gives you the feeling. This is one of Jim's big talents, is Jim is able to stop by everybody's booth. Yeah. And you can see him coming. It's not like you didn't see him at the guy next to you. But he always leans in with this look like, these assholes, right? I'm so glad. <laughs> this is show for you, you know? And you're like, I know. Remember when it was just us? And he's like, yeah. Anyway, these guys. Well, I better run. Some asshole needs me at the next booth. Then he walks to the next booth. This guy, right? <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, really that is just... significant, Scott. I have never once uh, exhibited at Emerald City and not had Jim come up to me personally no. and right. ask me how. Number one, ask me how everything was going and mean it, and then it thanked me for coming and exchanged nice. I've never not had him come up to my booth. And. Now, I know there are years. He's got to stop and see. I know there are years that he doesn't even know he's done it. Like there are years where he just comes by and slaps the table and looks at me, and I go, "Yeah," and he goes, "How how how's it going?" (laughs) He's not really there. He's just running on like an hour sleep, and then he's like, "Everything's great." And you need anything? Okay. Hey. Just out of curiosity, what day is it? What's my name? <laughs> I don't even know English anymore. Can you yeah. just read my badge out loud slowly and we'll be okay? Yeah. <laughs> what does it say? It says Jim. Nobody right. can read your name out loud. It's as bad as Geiger. <laughs> so Jim, and then I just gave up when I got to the last name. Fuck it. <laughs> you're, you're not alone in that. Don't worry, Jim D. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool, Finster bro. 
what it, uh, so off Emerald City, but because I have two uh, show promoters on the line, I want to ask about the whole conventions changing and there's this whole new wave of people coming in as geek culture has become pop culture and now you've got you know older artists bitching about cosplay and then there's also these youtubers flooding the floor and like as you know we from our side and i think i can speak for all three of us we're the opinion like look times change you're you 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 adapt to it this is the new reality we live in but like I know a lot of creators and exhibitors that are unable or unwilling to make that mind shift to understand that like, look, a lot of people coming to shows now are interested in geek culture, which is now pop culture and are not interested in buying your stuff. They, they, they may not even know who you are or what you do. They may not have that kind of, you know, knowledge of your geek cred or whatever. So like, what, what, what is your guys' take as exhibitors, you know, when you've got uh, these old uh, or, or they tend to be older comic pros coming out of the woodwork and being like, ah, cosplay, it's the worst, that kind of thing. Oh, well, I think, I mean, painting, it, it, it's first off, I think a lot of it is being, you know, it, and problematically is being painted with a with too broad a stroke. Right. Like what? What the real problem is, is not so much the people coming through the door, is that the people already inside the show who are longtime exhibitors and longtime, um, you know, fixtures, is that they, and I think you nailed it kind of actually by asking the question, is they don't really understand these fans. So then when they're sitting around saying, hey, no one is buying my product, like, you've had the same product for year after year and each year you're getting less and less interest because you know, like the most of the back issue market, a lot of it has definitely shifted to like, whether it's eBay or, um, people looking for very specific things, you know, there's still your quarter bin divers and that's a specific market, but like, you know, Again, the blaming cosplayers is such a is such a fallacy. It's like you know, cosplay cosplay is just you know this natural evolution inside of the uh, inside of the con. What's more is like looking at the age of people coming through the door, and you're finding that like you know there's there's starting to become I think a little bit of a bigger disparity between the age of the people exhibiting versus the people coming through the door. There's a lot of millennials and coming it's in. Now. Just like your parents not understanding this damn rock and roll music is um, you, there's a, like just a fundamental disconnect for a number of Are people. Are you calling us old? <laughs> yes. Essentially. Is what right. I know, wrong. right? We're dinosaurs. <laughs> but you know, like it's not necessarily a negative. It's just, but understanding where everybody fits in it. That's, that's been the dynamic shift that I think, there's a lot of people who have navigated it a lot better than others and understanding what it is that they should be offering to the attendee that gets them that traffic. And, and it's, yeah, it's, I, a, it's a I hard a thing to understand. I think it's, I have a different take on it. I think it's all the cosplayers fault. Completely. <laughs> Come on. No, oh, boy. No, joke. Quote him. <laughs> oh, uh, I think, that'll be our log line for the show. It's all the cosplayers yeah, yeah. fault. <laughs> Yeah, please do that for me. That was that, 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 that would be awesome. You know what's weird though? So New York Comic Con, I talked about like you know we do all this research. So sixty percent of the people that came to New York Comic Con this year had never been to New York Comic Con before, 
And like 75% of those people had never been to a con period. And that's been consistent for a couple of years. So here's the deal. Like I haven't changed my marketing. I'm not like reaching out to different people. I'm it's, it's, it's drawing in a different audience and it's kind of like, is that bad? I mean, is that bad? Is that a bad thing that now there's all these guys that are at the show that are looking to like grow their own audience or their own customer base or their own fandom. And like, we're delivering, you know, 60% of 150,000, we're literally 70, 80,000, just brand new people for them to make an impression. on. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, that's different. I understand it's different, but I, I'm not sure the answer is that that's bad. And how do we change it? You know what I mean? And I think that comes back to actually, like Scott, some of your questions of the people that are worried and the creators that are worried, it's it's hard because it's like if everything stayed exactly the same, there'd be a certain comfort. But I think there'd also be a voices saying like, "Fuck, I see the same fucking people every show, every year. This is getting stale." Then we have new people, new audiences. A show might change a little bit, and then it's like your point. Oh, it was so much better when we were in the basement of that church. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it was pure, man. It was poor. So like. I think a little bit of this is human nature. That doesn't mean like, oh, we're just, Jim and I are just going to like completely ignore the sentiment. But to a degree, it's like, you know what? Your, your day one, day two, day three example is great. Just play it out over the course of like, you know, someone's views on the con scene. It has that same progression of, like, I love all the people. And there's a lot of new people. Who the fuck are all these people? You know? Like, <laughs> well, yeah. And there's, that. there's, it's, it's also, <sighs> It's really funny too because I think that I think there's a couple factors in it as far as exhibitors and and other comic pros and how they feel about stuff like this. And there's a lot of ego involved and all of us creators are a little bit I mean we're all just kind of a little bit I hate this I usually speak out against this but you know we're all human beings we're all putting ourselves out there. This is our work. This is ourselves. We're sitting down and we're not just some guy who, who who got a job at a publisher and it's his job to sell books. This is this is our whole heart, right, in the table in front of us. And people are walking past it. So it's like everyone that walks past yeah. doesn't care about our stuff. It's some kind of a of a little bit of a of a heartbreak or a rejection. I mean, it just it just happens. And and I've I've been lucky in that I've always been able to keep it in perspective and even to the effect of where we're at Gen Con crunching numbers. And I'm like, why do we even come to the show? Mm-hmm. If these are our numbers and Corey goes, well, you got to look at it. This is year one. And also I think we should start looking at our shows for the whole year and not just the individual shows, because this show is important, whether we make a ton of money here or not, you know, this might be the show where yeah, it's a totally different audience for us. Yeah, we got to address them. We got to talk to them. Right. And so I'm like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Well, you know, I'm lucky because I have Corey to sit there. And when I, when I'm like, well, God, why am I even here? He's the voice of reason. But, but on the, but there's a lot of ego involved. Cause like, for example, and, um, I wanted to buy a commission um, when I was at Rose City Con, a very small show. Oh, did you guys buy Rose City Con too? Uh, they didn't. Oh. Rose no. City's back to just uh, an independent. Uh, okay. Um, but when I was at Rose City Con, I was like, you know, this is kind of nice. It's kind of a slower show. I have time to actually get up and walk around and see some people, maybe get some commissions. And hey, you know what? Steve Rude's over there. I'm going to get Steve Rude to draw me Superman. Mm. Well, I went back there. How many times did I go back to that booth, Corey? <laughs> Several. You were you were up and down trying to get Rude. Fucker was never there. He was rude. He was <laughs> rude. 
And then I paid for it anyway, and he mailed me the commission later. It's gorgeous. I love it. But like, and 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 in fairness to Steve, I don't know why he was gone. He could have been. He could have had a bad oyster, and he was vomiting in the toilets. All I'm saying is, he was walking around trying to find somebody to do a commission for him too. And people were like, walking by your Scott table. Kurt Superman, and then oh, like strangers in the night. You guys here. are walking past each other back and forth. <laughs> it was strangers on a train. Uh, no, but he wanted like, commission of himself vomiting up that oyster. Right. If if I were not that I. And I shouldn't have, I'm not going to confuse everyone, but if I were to go online and see Steve Rude complaining about the show, you know, part of me would be like, well, you were never at your booth. Mm. Um, but anyway, I, I, you know, it's, it's just interesting to hear from a, a promoter's point of view, you know, this take on the shows, well, the shows are no changing. Right. You know, yeah, there's no like, magic. There's no magic word that will make all shows a certain way. Every every show, every environment is different. Well, well it that's, used to be that show. Kind of what Scott was saying, right? Yeah, like, it's it's <laughs> there's shows are changing, and sometimes like I feel like there's this transition period where you're like, you know, this year I didn't do as well, but if you actually, I, I think a lot of people, you know, and Scott, you're, you this is very kind of in a way close to home of what you're saying is. You take it very personally, like, man, people just don't like PvP or they don't like Table Titans, and that's why I'm not doing anything. But if you can separate yourself from your work for a minute, as it were, and that's obviously why you have someone like Corey, too, is you can then look at the audience and be like, well, you know, what was the thing that got people over here? Oh, maybe it was right. a statue. Maybe it was this. Well, let's talk a little more about that. Like, maybe it's the character. And then you can come back to that show where you feel like you're going to have a kind of the same audience, or at least like, you know, the same type of audience. And then you can like cater yourself a little bit yeah. more to the, to what's going on at that show because, and this clearly is no, no diss, but like the audience of Emerald city comic con is totally different than the audience of New York comic con, which is totally different than the audience at C2E2. And you could have a table at all three and your performance right. varies wildly because you have to also understand that the people coming through the door all have a different mentality. So did we tell you, I don't know, did you hear what happened to us with San Diego at all? Uh, Probably, but go ahead and tell it anyway. <laughs> I was well, like, I, so, I, I, I'm 99% sure I, I told Jim this story, but you should tell it anyway. It's funny. So we teamed up with We Love Fine. So We Love Fine is this big producer of, of T-shirts and merchandise, and they have a ton of licenses, like officially. Like if you want to buy an official Doctor Who shirt, not some schmuck that just said, what if Doctor Who and The Walking Dead mashed up and here's a T-shirt and uh-oh, whoopsie, I don't own the copyright to that. But if you want to buy like an official Doctor Who shirt, they sell them. Like they have the licenses for all this stuff. Transformers, My Little Pony, Marvel, and, and to boot, they make real Star Wars. They make cool stuff to boot. Yeah, and they They're get not... a lot of really cool young hip artists. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That are much cooler and hipper than me and my art to make this shit. And we somehow, um, I don't know what pictures Corey had, but we tricked one of them to take on us as a licensor. <laughs> so. Because, you know, PvP and Doctor Who, same fucking category. Um, and so I get to I get to make merchandise for PvP and Table Titans with the guys that make merchandise for Marvel and stuff. And so what we did is we, since they're our partner, and San Diego is a show where people show up and go, um, 
what what at this table makes me laugh? Okay, I'll buy it. Hey, I drew that. I don't give a shit. Can I get my change, please? Yeah, that was year one of our team up is we, we they set up in a booth with us and it's the booth that we always have at San Diego Comic-Con and Scott's there. And, you know, he's it, it sort of shifted the dynamic a little bit to where it's more like Scott's an artist doing a signing at a booth that is selling stuff. And somebody would walk up and be like, oh, that's funny. Or I really like that. And then, oh, put, I need that. Po- oh, my God. Yeah, like, oh, that poster is beautiful. I need that. Oh, poster. This, this poster's coming home with me. Oh, my God. And then the guys, ah. would you like Scott to sign it? What? That's the artist that drew it. OK, you see, it's from his comic strip. And the guy's looking. I'm like, can I have my fucking change, please? I got it. <laughs> and and I'm like, I don't need to be here. Like San Diego has become a show where I'm superfluous. So let's save the money. So the next year, we just let We Love Fine set the booth up, and <laughs> yeah, we just hired. We essentially hired our partner to run the booth for us. Yeah, they ran the booth, and PVP stuff was there. So we Not a lot of PVP stuff. <laughs> Because we got a call from Justin, who kind of is in charge of booths, going, hey, guys, you're in the webcomic section, and this is your booth. And it's all My Little Pony and Dota, and then, like, three PvP t-shirts. So, Because We Love Fine has their own booth at the show on a different section of the floor. And, you know, we have our booth, and we're not subletting to them. They're our partner. We're we're technically, it's like we're buying product from them and selling it and then selling it back to them. So it's our it's our booth. It's our cash we're not breaking any of the rules um yeah. no, but it's our it's our it's, yeah, our, it's stuff. our it's our stuff but uh but we love fine split our product the pvp and table titans products between the two booths so it right. it appeared that there was no product of ours at either booth and <laughs> apparently a bunch of people in the webcomic section got very upset about got very it. upset and pictures were taken and complaints were made right. and i said to justin like justin why is it okay for tapatico to sell a bullshit doctor who shirt but I can sell a licensed one and I'm getting in trouble. Yeah. You know? And, and it's like, I turned to Corey and I'm like, man, I really thought we were being smart and adapting, you know, like yeah. well, the show has we changed. Are. It's we not about are. me as an artist anymore. I didn't right. throw a fit. I adapted and, and still <laughs> it's not working. <laughs> well, you know, and I don't envy guys like Justin or like, or like Lance or you and Jim, because you know, you, you're the guys that have to deal with these complaints and, and, and not that the complaints were illegitimate either. It's like San Diego has a section that are supposed to be these independent webcomic people. And we're, you know, we've, we've now been moved out of that section, right? Rightly so by Justin, because we're, we have adapted, we've become a different thing. And, you know, and these guys want some kind of uniformity to, by the way, we moved across the aisle. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how much of a shift this is. But yeah, they moved us to a different section that was across the across, aisle. Across, <laughs> literally across the aisle. Um, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. All I hear is Brad laughing. Lance and Jim have checked out. They're like, "What's the question to us? Why do we give I'm a shit about this conversation?" I've, I've even heard some of this story before. I'm still enjoying it. Uh, but like, you guys have to deal with this stuff all the time i i don't envy you and you know for for us it's like as an exhibitor it's like oh man this sucks you know we don't want to piss off our neighbors and we've been in the spot for a really long time but but you know as as a show promoter it's like you guys must have to deal with this kind of petty ego crap all the time just constantly that's actually why I stopped inviting Scott to the show. Just his ego. <laughs> <laughs> it's too much to deal with, to be honest. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> no, but um, 
like I'll, I'll give you my 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 first like my my kind of snarky answer. It's like I have someone for that, so I don't have to deal with it. Like, but <laughs> the, the real answer is like Christina, who is amazing. Like, yes, she, she does is. deal with that stuff, yeah. and you're totally right. Like, a lot of it has to do with just how do we how do we make sure everyone is happy, and of course, like. Uh, like the truth in life is there's no pleasing everybody. So you try your best. And if everybody is complaining about somebody, we look into it. If one person is just kind of like, Hey, I think my neighbor's a dick bag. Like, well, like, I don't know. Were you a dick bag to them? Like what's, what's the situation? But as an overall, you try to make everyone happy. You try to like, Hey, we don't segregate our sections. So we try to sort of like do a, um, an overall, like, you know, we have web comics people here, but we don't put a big sign above it that says web comics. Right. Because I also know from experience that, like, if I don't have a good idea about web comics, or maybe someone just sent me, like, a shitty web comic, some, like, one time last year, mm-hmm. and I'm walking the show floor and I see a sign that says web comics, like, ugh, web comics, that's like that one shitty thing that I was sent. I'm going to avoid this entire section, which is rife with, like, amazing people. So, yeah, we can, like, maybe, like, at Emerald City, like, we put all the webcomics people in an area, but we don't also make it, like, hey, no one else can be in this area. So, as long as it fits, we'll make it, and then you can walk through it as though you're just walking through the regular show floor, and that's what we think of as discovery for our attendees. It's God like, bless you. Man, I can just go up and down the aisle uh, and uh, maybe find something uh, uh, I've never seen before. I think San Diego yeah. is the same way. I don't think they, they – I don't think they – No, it, it – one year it did say webcomic. Well, didn't it? San Diego, I, I think, think so. has been labeling it webcomics for a while. But well, I yeah, they, they call it webcomics yeah. alley or whatever. Yeah, right. But it's it's not. There's not like a sign up or anything like that, is there? It's on the I map, though. So. Oh, it's on the map. Yeah, I did not well, realize. Long story short, it's like. To answer your question uh, as a general is that, yeah, so we do have to deal with that stuff. And to be honest, that's just our job. Like, that's just part of making sure that we can get everybody to be as happy as possible. And you're right. Like, at the end of the day, you can't make everybody happy, but we do our best to make sure that, you know, if there's legitimate complaints like you were talking about, like, that we address them. And then next year, that's not a complaint. You know, like I want new and interesting problems. I just I don't want the same problem year after year. <laughs> That's a great attitude. <laughs> I want I like that. I want new and interesting problems. That's good. Well, yeah, so anyway, thanks guys. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> so now now Emerald City's coming up in March. Uh, is there going to be a what's that? Sorry. <laughs> what? <laughs> is, is there going to be a, is, is are we going to notice any differences in this uh, upcoming uh, Emerald City? Is, is, is there going to be a strong read presence or is it kind of business as usual? What are we expecting here this uh, in a couple months? Well, they've changed the name to E3C2RP. <laughs> like, we just shortened it to Wizard World Seattle. I thought that was like, like you know. <laughs> There's actually um, a umlaut title now. There's an umlaut in the title. <laughs> eh, CCC. I just wanted it to look like a Walt Simonson sound effect. Like, I just wanted it to be called, like, Thrakadoom. <laughs> that would be awesome. Um, so the short answer is no. Like, uh, essentially, Reed is supporting Emerald City 2015. Um, to, like, and Lance can, you know, answer as well. But basically, we're so deep in the process. You know, like, we're sold out of our show floor. We're sold out of Artist Alley. You know, like, we're full up on our guest list. You name it. That we, we're at a point where um, there's not a lot 
that even kind of in a weird way that even if Reed wanted to, they couldn't do because we're just, we're just so close to the show. So Reed is here to like, make sure that some of the logistic stuff gets handled and, you know, some of the things that uh, we can move off our plate gets onto Reed's plate. And then I think 2016, you'll see it more, um, let's call it more impactfully. But even then, like Lance was saying before, and like you guys asked about, like the whole idea is that the feel of Emerald City is part of its appeal and actually, and most of its appeal. And that's what we're, you know, it's the same people who will be working on it in 2016. We're trying to make sure that that show, like in 2016, even though it's, you know, like even though 2015 is a Reed show, that you don't come to 2016 and be like, ugh, well, now that Reed's in charge, this is like, it feels completely different. Unless your attitude is that and it's not going to get changed no matter what, like you're going to, I feel like you're going to see Emerald City next year still be in a way the same old Emerald City that you've always loved. Nice. I think you'll see also like you'll see it the other direction like I'll, like I'll give you two boring examples so like we got three months so it's like all right we're gonna do your badge mailing because it's a, they mail out all the badges for you because it's a huge pain in the ass and we have a system for it and a you know a, a company that does it great we got in house people design all the program guides like just like we do for packs like we can take that off your plate now Jim can you give us a hand on getting C two E two pulled together with some comic guests you know can Todd start looking at um, at Paris and India and Australia and starting to line up some celebrity guests because we're taking some stuff off their plate, right? Um, that's like, that ain't sexy, but that's the, kind of the way, a good example of the way that the relationship will work. And then the other thing I think you'll see is like, you'll be talking to Christina about C2E2 or about New York, you know, like you'll start to see that in the other direction. You might actually see in 2015, the Emerald City team impacting the rest of our shows a lot more than you'll see visibly us doing anything on Emerald City. Um, so we're doing stuff behind the scenes, but it's doing it so that then they can impact the rest of our shows. So yeah. that, that's the way it's shaping up so far. And I think um, I think it's a good example of kind of how it'll work even going forward further, you know. As a big fan of everyone that works on the show, I'm really stoked about that. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm pumped too. Yeah. I like I like the re shows and I like M City. So I I I think it's a it's a good marriage. I'm excited for your progeny because you're gonna have beautiful children. <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> uh, Can you imagine what our children would look like? Like listen, if going I'm gonna go with my like ancient roots and if they were like if they look anything like I think they would look, they would be dropped in that little cavern that the dude from three hundred crawled out of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it would be like it would be like if Kramer and a Greek sailor had a baby, you know? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it would be good. It's like a really uncoordinated swarthy dude. So we used to do this thing where we asked our guests five questions. Are you bringing that back? Well, we haven't had a guest in so long. We haven't had, we haven't had the questions to ask. (laughs) What a great, no, I I like that idea. Jim, can I, Jim, can I ask you five questions? I don't want to ask Lance five questions. He's a a corporate apologist. I want to ask Jim five questions. Whoa, (laughs) holy shit. (laughs) Just got real. Uh, No, I'll ask you both. You guys (laughs) want to answer five questions? Sure, I'll answer. I'll answer anything. It's whatever comes to your mind. So you just you just have to answer it. There's no right or wrong answer. Are you ready? That's his way of saying these are poorly written. These questions. are horribly written questions. <laughs> All right. Uh, question the first. Define for us success. Uh, waking up and getting to do what you love. Being happy and making other people happy. 
Those are acceptable answers. We accept those answers. <laughs> What's Wait, a, no right game show sound effect like a bell or something? Correct. So we talk about this a lot on the show, but what's your greatest failure? Um, I, I think, uh, so I actually started a company, uh, two years ago, a uh, side company that was, uh, worked in the kind of streaming slash, um, you know, uh, video production field. And I thought it would be great and invested a bunch of money and time. And, um, it just ended up doing absolutely nothing. And it's, uh, currently that is, uh, it's probably my, my biggest oh. failure in terms of from a from a business point of view. I guess uh, personally, I, guess I think it would that. just be like the, the kind too. of hair that I don't have on my head anymore. <laughs> I guess my next question is: Do you need any help with that streaming stuff? This year? <laughs> I uh, the company is now out of business. Uh, <laughs> what's funny is I know I know what you're talking about. I thought it was a great idea. Isn't it weird how the, I thought it was a great idea? The but things that kinda, we think I are think the it was a little bit before its time, and yeah, a maybe. little bit like with the without the right people to kind of push it forward. But like you can only have so many split focuses, and I'm already like involved in enough stuff that I think uh, part of my failure and what I learned from it, and actually like without sounding like a, a motivational speaker, it's like I don't necessarily believe in failure in so much as like you do things that don't work out, and if you learn something from it, it wasn't really a failure, and I actually learned quite a bit from. That company not working out, and so like it's a success in that full point as a it's a failure as a company. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Lance, do you have a big one that jumps to mind? Uh, I would say the biggest failure that I can think of is um, uh, not having sex in high school. <laughs> <laughs> it just it didn't work out. I'm making I'm making this personal. I, just, I like I the it. same I want, to, I want to reveal myself to you in in many ways. <laughs> uh what's what's your process lance i i i failed i failed the same way we've all we've all made that we should we should uh we should hold each other when we see each other next i'd appreciate that as as you reveal yourself (laughs) now you're just perverted jim you're just dirty what uh what what's your process uh left leg first I like that. that's one of my favorite answers. I, that's very good. <laughs> I hope that uh, my, I, I think my process is to try and think of a big idea and then find people that are actually intelligent and capable enough to tell me how to do it. You know, I that is actually the process of a lot of really successful people. I, I don't think people realize this, but you know, it's you you can be a big idea person and 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 you can even be good at the minutia. But it is rare that someone can do both by themselves. It's, it's a trait that Jim and I share, as we talked about earlier. So this will be a dangerous pairing without proper proper people surrounding us. <laughs> well, and, and you know, like echoing what Lance said, like that's that's been you know a lot of the success of Emerald City. It's like I, I think I have like a lot of the like let's call it vision for the show. But in, what really it is is that I have people around me who execute on such a great level, everything that we want to accomplish, it's, it's exactly what Lance said is finding the right people to make what you want happen, happen, because it's also realizing that you can't do everything yourself. And I know it's taken me a very long time to realize both delegation and, um, like, 
understanding that you can't do everything yourself. <laughs> Jim, I got to tell him the story. Like, so, all right, when, when this was like just about when things were about to be finalized with this deal, we were really close. And so the whole team came out to um, our offices, right? And then um, everybody came over to my house and we were having beers and, and eating food and just hanging out. And Jim and I were talking work and we're talking about, you know, okay, what are we going to do? How is this going to work? What's our strategy, right? And then at the end of it, um, Jim's wife, Andrea, pointed out, but like, so what do we do tomorrow? And Jim and I were like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, don't, he was don't put your logic on me, woman. Like, we're thinking, we're thinking big over here. <laughs> it was great. And both of us just looked at each other blankly like, well, we'll, we'll have another meeting. We'll sort that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so true. <laughs> that's, that's great. Oh man. So, uh, what is your trick? Uh, my trick is to know just enough so that people think I'm smart. That's a good trick. That's good. These are good answers. See, the questions are real, man. <laughs> questions are terrible. We just have a really good, really smart people answering that. Smart people. <laughs> This maybe maybe you just have higher caliber guests. Oh, yeah. you've ever it's had true. Before. It's like, true. Not, no offense to anybody like, else who's ever appeared here, but like, like for example, you don't have to read all of the New York Times. Just read the headline and then just throw it out to somebody, and they'll fill in the rest. If you're just yeah. like, "Hey, those protests in Germany," you know, and then <laughs> they're just like, "Oh my God, it's about nothing." And you're like, you just nod. You're like, you know, I don't see it completely as you do, but you make some valid points. And then they're like, yeah, he's really educated. He's really up on events and those are fun. Well, yeah, and you made that other people feel good because nobody loves anything more than being asked to talk about something they know. So you give that other guy a chance to talk. He feels good about himself. Everybody in the room is feeling great. Completely. And then I'm actually functionally illiterate, and they don't even know. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a trick, Jim? Um, my, my trick is actually just uh, to listen. It's a, kind of weirdly came out of what you guys are saying, but what I found is that so many people want to, and I know I have that habit and I actually like consciously try to stop myself is you end up talking over people or you interrupt or you want to make yourself heard. But the more you actually sit back and listen to what people have to say, the the more educated you are on literally everything because I found even, even like when it comes to complaints, you know, most people just want to be heard like in, in life, like it's exactly that. Like you just, you just want someone to listen. And if you can actually be that person who listens, you will find that you absorb more than all those people who are talking. Well, and not only that, I'm just going to underline something that I've, I've just been noticing listening to you uh, and, and t- tell me if I'm wrong. When most people are listening to a complaint, they just want the experience to be over, right? If you're listening, if you if you're in a situation of responsibility and someone brings you a complaint, you just want it to be done. I don't want to. This is not what I came here for to solve other people's problems. I just want this to be done. And when you say what you said earlier, really stuck with me is that what you want in the next phase of life is to have bigger and more interesting problems to solve. Whereas most people, if they were honest with you, their attitude would be, I want to get to the point where I'm not solving problems anymore. 
And your yeah. mindset is something that I really want to try and take for myself <laughs> and maybe learn from because your attitude towards problems is I, I want more, more complicated, more interesting problems. And when somebody brings you a problem, you just don't want the thing to be over with. This is what you're here for is to solve these these challenges. You know, it, it's, a, it's a great attitude. I need a little bit more of it in my life. <laughs> Well, thanks. Yeah. And, you know, someone actually asked me, this is, this came up yesterday when all the big announcements were coming out with, uh, you know, Reed and, uh, and Emerald City is like, you know, what is it about you that, or what is it about this that makes it interesting? And I'm like, well, it's not that I'm not interested in Emerald City anymore, but I'm actually excited to figure out the problems with yeah. these other events or with anything that I'm working on, because the, the actual act, the challenge, the act of having a challenge is, a motivator for me. I love the idea that like, cool, I can like being a fixer. Like I want to go in and figure this out. And I'm really interested in that process, not only of how to get it done, but then also you can then take that knowledge. And it's sort of like, um, I'll use, you know, both Brad and Scott as an example. Like if you were doing freelance work and someone sends you a script, if you're doing freelance work long enough and you're, you know, obviously you guys are scripting for yourselves, but at a certain point, every problem you've already solved. Like at some point, someone's thrown something at you where you're like, I need you to do a crowd scene. Oh, okay, here we go again. Like at a certain <laughs> point, you're like, like, I know how to do a crowd scene. Like I've, I've just done it. And so then you get to apply that knowledge and say, great, I've already, I've already solved the crowd scene. So I can either do the crowd scene I always do, or then I can challenge myself and say, you know what? I'm going to try to do the the crowd scene for like by placing the cameras at the knees, like at the level of the knees and see if I can show a crowd from the yeah. bottom up, you know, <laughs> like a raising Arizona, like the, the camera never goes above the kind of the eye level of a dog. You know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. <laughs> ah, that's great. And that's interesting to me. Give me, uh, all right. Last question. Give us, uh, and our listeners one piece of advice. My entire thing has been advice. This is yeah. bullshit. <laughs> I want one. If you if you could only give one, if there's only one piece of advice you could pass on. <laughs> this Breakfast whole thing's been advice. This is bullshit. I <laughs> <laughs> call PS on this. Uh, okay. All right. I got it. Ready. Um, don't be a dick and do the work. Mm. Oh, do the work do is the so work, good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you son of a bitch! Do the work was essentially mine. Like, <laughs> I, don't, mine was. A, I actually don't be afraid of work because the the one thing I've found most often is that that's what people they don't want. They they just want the end. They only want the reward, and no one's willing to put in the effort to get to that reward. And tying it back to the whole thing we've been talking about, like you can work for a couple of years without taking a day off. You can do all this stuff, but if you don't, if you don't put in the effort, you can't have the payoff. And that's, and that's really, honestly, the the best advice is like, don't be afraid of work. Like it is, it is what gets you what you want. Mm, great advice. Yeah. No kidding. Unless you're talking about sex in high school. Cause I did a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lance, uh, from, from Reflop, Jim from Emerald city comic con. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Seriously, this has been this is one of my favorite episodes to date. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna we gotta have you guys back. We'll get we'll have you guys back in a year after after you've uh, 
you've done a year of M City together. Yeah, that'd be that'd great. Be awesome. We'd love to come back and yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, man. Thanks for having us at the show. Yeah, no kidding. Thank you so much for joining us this week. On behalf of myself, Corey Cassoni, Brad Geiger, and Scott Kurtz, I would like to thank our guests, Jim Demonakos and Lance Fensterman. It was fantastic having you. We hope to have you again. If you like what you heard, head on over to patreon.com forward slash surviving creativity. And please consider becoming a patron. And don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes. Just search Surviving Creativity, subscribe to the podcast, give us a rating, let us know what you think. Have a fantastic week, and we'll see you next time on Surviving Creativity.